we are going to be reading Psalm 110 again, and and then spending all, most of our time in, in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 to 25. I'm going to read them both, so you'll need to have a finger, a finger there. You know, what we just sang sums up what we're going to talk about of... We're talking, our sermon series is Basic Christianity from Psalm 110, and the writer to the Hebrews, what he does, it says, because Jesus is the priest that was promised in Psalm 110, here's how you live together, which is why we sang, blessed be the ties that bind. Uh, We're we're talking about, I believe in the communion of saints as Christians, that we we are in this thing, not alone, we are in this thing together. yeah, Christianity is a, is a much bigger community than we tend to think about following Jesus. So let's, let's read the text and we will, we will jump in. Read Psalm 110 first. This is God's word. Psalm of David, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations. Filling them with corpses, he will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. And then in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and spoken to us in love. Let's pray. <coughs> our, our Father and, and merciful God, we thank you that you are good and forgiving and abounding in steadfast love for all who call on you because we can come to you through Jesus who represents us. And so, Holy Spirit, come and draw us nearer to you in our relationship with him, but also draw us nearer to one another. So may your grace go to war against our unbelief, so we may leave here overflowing with faith, hope, and love, uh, your gifts to us in the gospel. So bind us together as we just sang. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Start by uh, saying, let's listen to the wisdom of what of this young lady, a lady named Marina, Ke- Marina Keegan, who used to be a student at Yale University. She's, she passed away a few, uh, a few weeks after she wrote this letter. 
And it went viral about five years ago. And it's called the opposite of loneliness. Right, so she's, just imagine, this is a college student writing where the community that they've lived in. And she writes, we don't have a word for the opposite of loneliness. But if we did, I could say that's what I, that's what I want in life. It's what I'm grateful and thankful to have found at Yale. It's what I'm scared of losing when we wake up tomorrow and leave this place. It's not quite love, and it's not quite community. It's just this feeling that there are people, an abundance of people who are in this together, who are on your team. And this is what scares me. More than finding the right job, the right city, the right spouse, I'm scared of losing this web we're in, this elusive, indefinable, opposite of loneliness, this feeling that I feel right now. It's, it's a really poignant, uh, honest way of describing what's so scary about starting out life outside of college. Uh, or just living life in general, of, of trying to figure out life without a community. Walking through life around people, <laughs> but lonely. And so one of the interesting things, we're going to look at Hebrews here. And I'll, I'll show you how Psalm 110 and Hebrews are connected. But the main theme of Hebrews is that you have a, a group of people, a group of followers, who are following Jesus, walking through a desert-like, wilderness-wandering experience on the way to the Promised Land. But you do so together. You're on, you're on a journey through all kinds of hardships, temptations, trials, and difficulties on the way to a world where you'll be finally known and, and, and finally seen, life everlasting. It's what we just sang, a, a friendship reigning in eternity, a world of love. And what Keegan is anxious, and I, I think all of us feel that anxiety of what is it like, how terrifying is it to embark on the hardships of life without companions? It's, a, it's an ache to say, I, I don't want to live alone. And... That's where I want to enter in the, the beautiful statement for us. Uh, this basic Christianity that when you come to Christ, you're also coming to a community. We say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the Universal Church, and the communion of saints. That I'm not the first one to do this, nor will I be the last. <laughs> um, the communion of saints is a, is a friendship word. It's a, a one another type phrase. It's a community expression that we need to, to, to talk to us about how to do church together. This is basic Christianity. We don't follow Jesus together. And that's what Hebrews 10 is going to show us. Because most of us really do live in our busy day and age surrounded by loneliness. You can be surrounded by people and still feel completely disconnected from everything and everyone. You can scroll through every Every piece of social media you have, Facebook, Instagram, and be connected in a virtual world and still feel so alone. And the most graphic description, a really helpful description I heard of loneliness was something like this. It's like you're trapped in the ice, clear ice, and you can see other people, but you can't make real contact. Not like the kind of contact you want. And so the writer of the Hebrews is saying... Because we have Jesus, the great priest, the great lover of people, uh, because the gospel is true, we come together in a community 
we are commanded to come together in a community to follow Jesus together. That the church should be the place that is the opposite of loneliness. Uh, that's the design of, our, of Jesus. And so let's, let's jump into this. How do uh, the reality that Jesus is our priest, as was promised by Psalm 110, shape the way you follow Jesus here in Boston Spa? I mean, what kind of community are we aiming at when, if we're going to be the church that is a biblical church? And so if you look at verses 24 and 25, I'm going to take it backwards and show how this builds a case, right? So Hebrews 19 through 25, it's like the end of a five-chapter argument about why you should not give up on Jesus. Jesus is better than anything you can imagine. When you get to verses 24 and 25, it's telling you that you must not neglect meeting together, uh, that we're saved to live together in communion, in fellowship, in friendship, to be a part of the church, to be a part of the communion of saints. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it's a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, as you see us getting closer to that day when Jesus returns to right all wrongs. And so right there, you have two community words. One another, in verse 24, and meeting together. And it's a command. It's, it's saying, because this is true, that you have Jesus as a priest, in verses 19 and following, now you must be intentional to meet together. Don't neglect it. And so the idea is, this is what the church is. It's a group of people who gather together, but it's more than... Uh, I mean, think about everything we gather together for in our modern culture. What do you gather together for? To watch a movie? Uh, to go to SPAC? To see a concert? To see a performance? Church is supposed to, is part of that, right? As we were sitting and, and you're listening to a talk, we're talking about Jesus, a sermon. But meeting together is much more of a community word, a much more intimate phrase. It's the synagogue is where we get the word comes from. It's, it's, it's meeting together face to face. It's life lived face to face. And so if you want to know what the New Testament pictures for you and I when we're following Jesus, you're, well, Acts 2 and 40 and following, it's, it's, you're, you're eating together, you're praying together, you're confessing your sins together, you're devoting yourself to the teachings of Jesus together, you are spending your life together. All right, so the, the easy thing to say is don't neglect to meet each other means show up to church. <laughs> right, I mean, that's, that's, that's the, the low-hanging fruit, so to speak. That's the easy part of, yeah, of course, you want to gather and spend time in God's presence with God's people. That's true. Uh, your habits reveal what you love, and so if habitually not meeting with God's people uh, is part of the practice of your life, your actions are communicating something to God's people and to God that you don't love them the way you think you do. So it's saying, yeah, come as often as you're able. You know, all the different life things that get in the way, of course, we can talk about. But it's, because it says it's the habit of some to just not do that. I can follow Jesus without you. I don't need any help. It's me and Jesus. He's, he's my friend. That's not the picture of the New Testament. But there's more to it because it's this intentional life together. Uh, a picture of a life where we are one anothering each other. 
Right? So think about what it means to one another. To confess sins together. To bear each other, one another's burdens. As we sang, to, uh, to weep with those who weep. To wipe away a tear. Um, it's, it's, live, it's talking about your life and talking about Jesus and how those things are connected. And to do that, you need more than a Sunday morning. You need more than a, a particular time of teaching. It's... It's picturing just this is just the pattern of your life that it revolves around Jesus and his community. Right. And so one anothering, meeting together, it's it's a friendship around Jesus, it's living life together. It's it's not trying to do this thing on your own. It's something you that starts on Sunday, but it can't stop there. Right. And so C.S. Lewis would put it this way, that Jesus works on us in all sorts of ways. But above all, he works on us through each other. We're carriers of Christ to one another. I mean, it's easy to think the church has a lot of purposes, he says, education, building, missions, having services. But the purpose of all those purposes is to draw people into Christ and to make them little Christs. And to do that, we have to, we have to rub shoulders. We have to break bread together. We have to be companions. That's what companion means, eating bread together. Um, and because I'm just human, and your elders are all only human, right? We can't be everywhere all at once. It's, a, it's an every Christian responsibility. It's, it's a habit of saying, I want to carve out time. Right? We can't carve out time for everybody, but carve out time for my brothers and sisters in Christ to be intentional. Right? And, and this is what happens. If it's your pattern to spend time with people, they will feel loved. I mean, that's just what happens. So one of my habits is to write my sermons at Nomad Coffee in town. And, and what's really funny is when I show up on, not on a Thursday, right, their whole week flashes before their eyes and say, what are you doing here? I mean, I like coffee, so I like to show up just because I like their coffee. But the idea is... That's starting to build community and fellowship and friendship there because of the intentionality. And the idea is if we do that as a church, as we're commanded to do, it builds a communion of saints, a communion of people that Jesus has called holy. It's a pretty astounding command. Don't neglect each other. Don't forget you are not the only one. Uh, think about your world as much bigger than you ever dared imagine because you are embarking on a journey that Countless saints have gone before. <laughs> uh, they've gone through horrible, even more difficult things. And you are embarking on a journey with people in the same boat right now. And you will be followed up by people who will continue to follow Jesus long after we're gone. Unless he comes back first. And we all gather together forever. So don't neglect community. Why? Well, the answer is, in verse 21 says, since we have a great priest in God's house, because we have a great priest in God's family, because we have access to a life-transforming power and a holy God, who through faith gives you a clear conscience, gather together. It's saying that to get to community, Jesus has started knocking down all the walls and barriers and excuses. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it this way. When you come into community with a guilty conscience, how hard is it to, to get to know somebody when you're terrified of being known because you just feel like you're less? 
Let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, which we're going to talk about in a moment. But your heart's been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. I mean, all that stuff buried, as we said earlier, in the depths of the sea. See what happens, and what, what the writer of the Hebrews is, is telling you, because Jesus has saved you by grace, make fellowship with Christians a habit. Love them the way Christ loved you. Don't neglect the power of Christian community to change you, because you can't change you alone. <laughs> so counselor Paul Tripp would say, when you're in meaning, meaningful relationships with one another, you're bringing a unique experience of God's love, uh, and one person has been rescued from addiction. Another person would have been brought through deep suffering that you have never faced. One person has come out of a really tough spot in their marriage. And the list can go on and on of all the experiences you have had in this room that I have not. And you have held on to Christ as he has held on to you. And so when you gather together to share those stories, you're seeing a different aspect of Jesus, and you're being strengthened, and you're loving each other. You can't do this on your own. All right. So what does this community look like as we look to Jesus together as our Savior, as our priest? Well, it says, consider how to stir one another to love. And this, this is intentional. Because that's what, that's what consider means. Think about it. <laughs> Sit down and ponder. A church where we stop and think, how do I love somebody on the other side of the the modulated pews, the chairs. How do I, I know what they're going through, how would they feel loved? You have to stop and think about it. All right, this week I read of a CEO of a company who writes 9,200 birthday cards a year for all of his employees to show them that he, he, he notices their humanity. <laughs> it's, an act, it's an expression of, of simple, I see you. In Christian community, we're, we're, we're meant to spend our time thinking about how do I love someone that Jesus loved first? Because considering is thinking about it, you know, if they're, if they're grieving or if you know they're in sin and struggling with an addiction to something, you're, you're coming along and, and thinking in your head, how can I help them? Especially if you have been there yourself and saying, I too have gotten my tail kicked by that particular sin. Let me come alongside you. Here's what's been helpful. It takes work, it takes trust, it takes um, some willingness to get over the awkward parts of it, <laughs> right? Because you're really coming up to someone in the church and saying, how can I love you? I, I see that you are suffering in this particular way. I've seen your misery. We are in this together in Christ. How can I pray for you? Right. So consider. So we should be a considerate community. That's what the church is called to do. We're also called to be a spurring community. I mean, if you have the NIV, that's the translation, to spur one another towards love or to stir one another up, uh, to stand in front of someone and say, that's not right. That's the <laughs> what you're doing is not loving. You ought to be loving. And so what that has to do with, right, it's just saying we should not only be a community that thinks about how to love people, we should also think about be a community that tells people that that's not loving. Right? We have to love each other with a holy annoyance, if we could put it that way. 
Because that's what a spur does, right? If you're riding an animal, you're, you're, you're poking it in the side and saying, get moving. And here's the direction, loving one another, and the direction you are going on right now is not loving. So turn around. It's, it's saying, I love you so much, I'm willing to be honest. And say, that's not helpful. That we intentionally think about how to love each other and to poke and prod others to love each other. <laughs> and frankly, I mean, unless I'm poked and prodded, a lot of times I just won't get moving. And that's what the Christian community is here for every week, is uh, to reorient and to re-aim and refocus. Um, so we need to spur one another. I mean, you think about all the different ways this, this is helpful. The church is here to keep you from being weird, and me. <laughs> Because if you follow Jesus by yourself, there is no one else to turn around and say, yeah, no Christian in the history of the church has ever thought that idea. So why would you ever, why, why do you believe that? Let's look at the scriptures together. Let's look at Jesus, who's sitting at the right hand of God. What did he say? It keeps us from being too insulated, too self-focused of seeing Jesus solely as my own self-improvement project. We have to spur one another. When... If I, sometimes I don't know when I'm not being forgiven or forgiving or when we're not, I'm not being loving. I'm just blind. I mean, that's why the first year of marriage is so hard because I had no idea how much I was blind to. Because someone all of a sudden turns around and says, why do you do that? <laughs> we need community, and it's supposed to happen in the church. And so when you come and you join a Presbyterian church in particular, we take vows, and that's what you're giving permission for us to do to let us come after you with a holy annoyance, to spur you to love and good works. All right, we should be a, stir, a considerate community, a, stir, a stirring or spurring community. We should be an encouraging community. And this is, a, this is the beautiful part of community that we love, someone who comes alongside you and encourages. All right, para kaleo is the Greek word. Para, come alongside and talk to them. Kaleo. We come alongside and speak. Right. So part of what this does, this is, some of this is common sense, but you just think carefully about how to come along and step into someone's life to where you're not the center of attention, uh, to speak a word of encouragement to build them up. Kind word, a meal, a prayer. I mean, you can be creative, but to, to come alongside is to speak the truth and love to someone to encourage them. And, and I, th I th hope you're seeing how balanced and nuanced this is for community. <clears throat> because there are churches who are really good and all they do is spur people. Right? You are not doing it right, you better shape up or ship out. You know, we would say that's much more legal, a legalistic culture. Right? The only tool in their toolbox is God said it, therefore do it. And you just get, you feel like you're in the game of whack-a-mole and you're the only mole. And then there's churches that never confront. They're all encouragement. They never say, that's wrong, that's sin, that, dude, that's messed up. <laughs> you need a savior. You need a priest. And so what, what's interesting is the, the model of community is, is built on, in, in the writer of Hebrews, I think he's, he's thinking about Jesus. Think about what Jesus did. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yeah, he, he also said, I have not come to call those who are well, but those who are sick. That's an insult. That's a spurring word. 
you are not well. You need fixed. You need, you need healing. He said, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Go and learn what that means. It's gentle. He's speaking the truth in love. But he also had no problems taking a stand for the weak, taking a stand against the Pharisees who were in a, in a, unable to see the hurt and harm their helpfulness caused. Right? You are blind guides, you Pharisees. Woe to you. You go to make a convert, and then you make them twice a child, a son of hell, as you are. Right? Same Jesus. <laughs> See, this, this takes wisdom. But if we're going to be a community that stirs one another up to, to love each other, to be considerate, to encourage, we need both. To move us towards doing good works. Right? Stir one another to love and good works. I mean, those are the kind of deeds that do build community and friendship of of visiting the lonely, of not forgetting those who are not here, um, being intentional, it's doing the work that Christ has commanded us, considering the poor, considering the weak. I mean, every the, all of Jesus' commands. It's, um, well, we heard it some at Bob's memorial service, didn't we? Of the way that Bob and Myrtle would um, just adopt people because they were thoughtful about a new family that came in. That, that's stirring others to do a good work by modeling it in front of others as well. So you put all this together, right? I'm trying to stir your imagination here. This is the command. One another each other. Don't neglect each other. Make it a habit. Show by your habits that you love Christ. And the way you show that you love Christ is by loving one another. Having Jesus as your priest, according to the writer of the Hebrews, builds and forms and shapes a deep relational community. And so we got to ask, that's a high aspiration. <laughs> How do you cultivate that kind of bond and trust here among us? And there's two ways as you, we work our way back up the text. We got to hold fast to our confession. And we're going to talk about that first. And then we're going to look at the and the, the ground of Christian community and why that's so important. All right, so first we have <coughs> community. Look at confession. All right, because Jesus is our priest and, and he's changing us, we have to be in each other's lives, but the, the bond of love between each other is built around our conf mutual confession of hope. Uh, words that are true, words that we love. I mean, look, look at what it says. Let us hold fast. Verse 21, since we have a great priest, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And the word for confession is really interesting. It's just the same words. Homologia. The word for logos, word, homo, same. And so the idea is we gather around the same words and say this is true. This is our hope. We we. We hold together to the reality and truths of the gospel, our mutual confession of faith. That's what we do every week in the service. That, that's the reason, that's the, the intention of saying these words every week. Because the church is a community of people who have been brought into the very presence of God by Jesus the Messiah, who is our Lord. And we are connected because of what we say is true. 
in Jesus. God's house is a family with Jesus as our older brother. And we are his siblings. And we all say, that guy is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. My priest, my representative in heaven, my only hope, my life. And there's all kinds of ways the church has done that. This whole sermon series has been doing that on, on the Apostles' Creed. Just imagine the, the, the impact of saying the same words together over and over again, of telling each other, this is true. Jesus was born, he died, he was crucified for sinners, he was risen again on the third day, he will come again to judge the quick and the dead, and we will live forever. You know, that, that pattern is what, that, those truths are what we gather around, the person, Jesus. Right. We confess that he who promised is faithful. And so, how does this work? Well, I'm hoping you can see why we need to confess our faith regularly. I mean, to, to re-say re what is true every week. And so, I, here's one of the illustrations I thought of. If you, if you want to become a violin expert, right, and, have, and be a part of a community of people who love violin, Maybe your goal is to play at SPAC with the Philadelphia Orchestra. It's a good goal. <laughs> and your method to get there is play the violin on Sunday, then Monday the clarinet, you've got Tuba Tuesday, Woodwind Wednesday, right? You're just, you spend all week playing everything but the violin, but you say you love the violin. And you want to get better at the violin, even while you're playing video games on Saturday. Right? You may be talented, you, but because of the wavering of what you have confessed to be true about you, it's not going to have any impact in your life. See, to hold fast to Jesus, the confession of our, our hope, without getting distracted, is to, re, to repeat to yourself what is true, to continually come back to what is true, to hold fast to these sweet and real and true and good and beautiful things, and to keep saying them to yourself and to each other. Holding fast to the confession of your hope. That's the idea. We do this already, don't you? I mean, how many times have you watched your favorite TV show, even though you know exactly what's going to happen? Because you love it. Right? Repetition deepens our hope in Christ. When we, what we repeat is showing us Jesus, the one whom we love. And what builds a bond between us is this idea that we are gathered together around this person, Jesus, who loved us first. And there are organized confessions to help us do that in the history of the church. <laughs> I mean, the writer of the Hebrews is doing that by saying, don't you know the scriptures? You who want to give up on Jesus, don't you remember that before Jesus, you didn't have access to the very presence of God? Before Jesus, you weren't good enough? That before Jesus, you were on your own in this life, wandering astray. And before Jesus, as a Jew, you just went to the temple and still had an evil conscience because the blood of goats did nothing to take away your guilt. That what you had before was weak and useless. So why would you, why would you ignore the confession that you started with, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and that he loves you more than anyone else in this world? That builds a bond in the Christian community. Because you're not gathered around a person, you're gathered around confessions. What's true? 
Because that's, that's really what happens, doesn't it? I mean, if some of you have traveled to another part of the world and joined another church that says the same thing, the Apostles' Creed, or they, they preach the same scriptures, there's an instant bond that says you're not just, a you are a stranger because I don't know you yet, but I know your family. That you can have more in common with a poor, I don't know, a, someone poor from Borneo, you know, single mother who's in Christ following Jesus than you can have with your own sibling that you grew up with simply because of the confession that you are gathered around. See, in Jesus, having a priest over God's house who has bonded, he's bonded us together. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, don't neglect each other. Hold fast to the confession of your hope. Third, last, the last point here, we need confessions. I hope, I hope I convinced you that we need to repeat, we need repetition. I mean, how many times have you been told I love you by your parents, <laughs> and then still question it. Repetition and confession is, is, is forming us to believe what Jesus has spoken to be true. Uh, what's the foundation? What's going to hold all this together? Well, because we have this beautiful picture of community. We're intentional and loving and encouraging each other. We're gathered around Jesus. We are a people of the Messiah, a communion of saints, and it does get messy. But when you get to verse 19, as we started with, as he made his case, verse 19 begins with a therefore, which assumes you know what came before. And, and everything that came before is saying, because Jesus is a better priest, because Jesus is the head of a better covenant, because Jesus is a better sacrifice, it does not need to be repeated. He died once for all. And he sat down at the right hand of God. He has made you perfect, declared you perfect by that one offering. And all your lawless deeds are forever forgotten and forgiven because you have that kind of confidence to walk into God's house. Love one another. I mean, this is the ground for Christian community is having Jesus as your priest. Because Jesus is the better priest, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And what he's getting at, right, what builds Christian community is the assurance of your salvation in Jesus. Which I don't normally, I wouldn't connect those things otherwise. Because assurance of salvation is for me, not for someone else. But assurance of salvation is actually the grounds for Christian community. A deep loving community, because to the extent that you are confident that God loves you and he cannot love you any more than he does right now in Christ Jesus, it sets you free to love other people. Because look at the text, 19 to 23. It says, since we have confidence in Jesus, let us draw near to God. And then he says, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to him in the full assurance of faith. And then he goes on to give you the commands. See, here's, here, look at your assurance of salvation. This is how we're going to end. Look at the confidence you are given if you come to faith in Jesus. You can come all the way into the holy places, into God's holy presence, and 
into a place where nobody until Jesus came was able to enter, apart from uh, the, the blood of the lambs once a year. And even that was a terrifying experience. The idea is you cannot get any closer to God than through Jesus, your priest, who is right next to him. That is an assuring thing. should give you confidence. Right? What does that confidence look like to run into God's throne room? Well, look at kids. They have no shame to speak their mind. We, we get that illustration every Sunday morning, which is wonderful. Right? Why? Because they're just sure that you're going to like them. Because they're great. <laughs> I mean, that's, how they, that's their sense of self. Unless someone has uh, shamed that out of them, Right? Maybe before you've had your coffee, you've crushed their confidence a little bit, speaking for myself. Now, our kids have confidence that I can come to my parents with requests at any time because they love me. Right? We saw it a couple years ago in a viral video online. You remember there was a, a British broadcaster trying to talk about the serious thing with North Korea, uh, about how, you know, like the conflict, and he's, he's in his home office, and all of a sudden the door opens, and in comes his daughter with a swag. <laughs> she has no idea she's on national television. And then comes the nine-month-old in a little walker, just motoring in. <laughs> and then comes the panicked mom, sprinting and trying to <laughs> hide. That's the confidence that we are given because Jesus is our priest, to come into the Holy of Holies, into the very heart of God. And it's unchangeable. Full assurance of faith. It cannot be changed because Jesus doesn't change. So draw near. Blurt out in prayer and conversation. Jump into his lap at any time. And so the idea is if you have that as the, your center of reality, it's going to go to war against your fear of loneliness because you're not alone. You're being met in your loneliness by Jesus who can meet your loneliness in ways that other people can't. Right? Think about it this way. I'm trying to, I, want you, I want you to make the connection between community and the assurance of your salvation. Because to the, some extent, we all come to church with our loneliness. I want a friend, someone to walk with me. And if you come with a, a socially needy person, as we all do to some extent, and you come to a church where we, we're, we're commanded, I'm supposed to love you. This is great. <laughs> it's like water in a desert for someone who's really thirsting for friends. Finally, someone will fix my restless, lonely heart. And you can see how that's going to be a problem when somebody disappoints you. And if you don't have the assurance that you have God's presence with you, that you have Jesus as your priest who has, gives you a full intimacy with the God who is, if that's not the source of your rest, then your relationships become all about you and your needs. And you walk into a community as a black hole saying, need me, love me, serve me, instead of considering how to love others. Right. And when others don't meet your needs, then you lash out. At least that's what I do. And it gets hard to build this community we've talked about. Now, the foundation of a beautiful, messy Christian community, the communion of saints is Jesus himself, your high priest who lets you in, who's paid the price for you to come in, to be assured of his love, and it sets you free to love others. And where do you get that assurance, that rock-solid confidence that Jesus will always 
welcome you. Well, according to the writer of the Hebrews, it's through his body that he opened, this new and living way that he opened up for us through his body. Seeing Jesus in his body, giving up all the community he had to make you a part of the Trinity, (laughs) uh, to make you a part of God himself, a partaker of divine nature, but also to bring you into the church, the communion of saints. I mean, look at Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God, you left me. I'm all alone. I'm under the judgment that sin deserves, and what sin deserves is aloneness. That's what sin causes, is aloneness. Jesus experienced the curse, the aloneness from God, God turning his back on him. But even before all that, Jesus went through it alone because all of his friends bailed. He knows what it's like to be lonely. And why did Jesus have to suffer like that? Because the wages of sin are relational and communal. And there was a wall between us and God because we've turned our back on him. And Jesus went through that pain to bring you into the community. I mean, sin always puts up walls between people. Tim Keller says, if you lie, you cheat. If you're cruel, you're selfish. The first result, the wages of sin is death. But the the wages of sin is aloneness. Because sin kills community. Selfishness disrupts relationships. And that's what Jesus suffered in his body on the cross. Ultimate aloneness so you could have assurance of God's love, God's presence, confidence to enter into the holy places together with Jesus' brothers and sisters in a family, in a family together of whom Jesus is not ashamed of. He's not ashamed to call you brothers and sisters. So let us draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with your heart sprinkled clean. And that frees you up. To, to, to think of yourself less and start to be, consider others. So who knew, right, that the assurance of salvation, this beautiful gift of radical sovereign grace alone, sets you free to love one another. It's for your enjoyment of God, but also for the enjoyment of his family. Because right, Jesus, by one offering, Hebrews 10, 14, is one of my favorite verses, By that one offering, he has declared you perfect. You belong here. Those he is continually changing. And the way he continually changes you is through each other. That's what I would say. The church is the opposite of loneliness. If we are working and and, and starting to consider and aiming in that direction. So conclusion you got to ask hard questions. You know? Am I assured of my salvation? <laughs> Do you really have that confidence? Have you, have you looked at Jesus long enough and hard enough to say, this, this is really true? Um, and then you turn around and say, okay, I'm part of Hope Church. How do I get to know these people who are also following Jesus? And I think because this says, let us consider how to stir together. It's a joint considering, thinking, brainstorming. But it's also on us to take the first move. Right? Look around. Who's, who's longing for companionship? Who might be home alone, wondering if Hope Church cares about them? Right? You know, all these ideas, if you just start, you can bring me your ideas about how to build community. It would be a wonderful conversation that we can have this together.
But it's saying, lean into the assurance of your salvation and then look up for brothers and sisters to to walk alongside. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this gift of sovereign grace that we can come in and not be ashamed and know that you will embrace us as you did the prodigal son, uh, the prodigals throughout all of history. And so I pray that you would make Hope Church a a community of friends, a a communion of saints, of people that Jesus has declared holy even though we are not yet perfect, and that we can learn to live well together, stirring each other up to do good deeds, to care for one another, uh, to follow your commands because you first loved us. So preach the gospel to our hearts, Spirit, we pray, and, and change the way we live. In Jesus' name, amen.